It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Bourne Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast on a Monday. This is episode 83. Dan Steinbach here with Cole Bourne Bergstrom, uh, your hosts once again. All right, we got a little bit of housewarming to do before we get into the bulk of the episode. Uh, last Friday, once again, was not able to make it to air. So just a quick recap of the picks and the ACC power ranks from our most recent episode. Uh, so in the picks, we went uh, split on four games. Even on those four games, uh, I edged out Colbjorn with a Clemson win over Syracuse because Syracuse decides to play scared. Why do coaches keep doing this? The fourth and one, fourth quarter, you know, you have a timeout left. You know, Babers decides not to go for the one yard and try to, you know, t- take a shot to win the game or at least get a closer field goal to tie. No, he trots out his kicker. Uh, to try and tie his career long. So bad beat for you there. Uh, I mean, that just keeps happening. I mean, I remember years ago with Jason Garrett uh, punting in overtime, fourth and one against Houston. Houston decides to win the game, you know. Uh, we can talk about Virginia Tech just this year against Notre Dame. And we can even talk about my Cowboys winning last night because uh, Bill Belichick decided not to trust Mac Jones in overtime to get three yards and gave the ball back to Dak Prescott. And you know what? We'll talk about that maybe with the NFL episode, but uh, that was the first game that we split on. Other game we split on in college, uh, my Tennessee Hyndon Hooker revenge game pick came up just short. Uh, Tennessee really shot themselves in the foot on their second to last drive with those penalties, put them in that impossible spot, you know, fourth and 27, barely miss it. And then, you know, pandemonium <laughs> in Knoxville. Someone threw mustard on the field. Okay. Overall, bad look for Tennessee fans, but the mustard was objectively funny. Uh so Ole Miss comes out with the win there, and Joe Milton decides to run out of bounds with time expired. I, I can't explain it. Um, and then shifting into the NFL, Colbjorn goes with the London Jaguars, who pull a liberty, get a couple more yards before their game-winning field goal. Mm-hmm. And then I win with the Ravens in a game that I thought was going to be close, come down to the last possession, but Baltimore just blew them out of the water. So we go even on the picks this last weekend, and then quick recap of the ACC power rank. For me, 1-14, through 14, Wake Forest, Pitt, NC State, Clemson, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Virginia, Syracuse, Miami, UNC, Florida State, Duke, and then Pocobjorn, Wake Forest, Pitt, NC State, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Georgia Tech, UVA, Louisville, BC, Cuse, UNC, Miami, FSU, Duke. All right, so that is our housewarming out of the way. Colbjorn, how are you on this fine Monday? Uh, You're sounding better than you did uh, on Friday. Yeah, the, the good thing about that Friday episode, at least currently not being out, is the fact that I definitely did not sound great that episode. Uh, I've been having some seasonal allergy type stuff, and I'm still having it, but I think I fe- sound a lot better, as you said, which I appreciate. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, and otherwise I'm ready to get into uh, everything that happened this weekend. Well, here's something that won't make you feel good. Virginia Tech's lost a pit. <laughs> Oh, man, what a segue. I don't, I don't know if I can say that that doesn't make me feel good or it's just not surprising. Yeah, I, I, I can't say surprising either. I mean, we both picked Pitt to win that game. Yeah. Um, all right, I, I've been trying to think of what to say all weekend and all day today. And look, man, here, here come just the facts. That was the worst game that they played all season. Mm-hmm. and in the now five and a half, because we're halfway through the season, in the now five and a half years that Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson have been here, that was their worst offensive game period. It was the only time they've ever scored only single digits. 
and it was their worst yardage output ever since being in Blacksburg. So in that sense, here, here's the thing. That game was never close. Uh, yeah. Even if the defense was doing what they did on Saturday, which they played, they played spectacular and they gave you the opportunity to win that game. Uh, that game was never close because I honestly feel that, and that game probably could have been even worse because in the second half, I think Pitt laid off the gas a lot. I think that they saw your little seven play, 75 yard drive, you know, at the start of the second half. And they knew you weren't going to be able to do that again. And they put up their touchdown match and they just kind of went throughout the rest of the game. Look, the defense played really well. This offense, of course, once again, terrible. This offensive game plan on Saturday confused me. It had no ebb and flow and it had nothing to do with the rest of the season. It looked completely different from what we've seen uh, from the previous five games. And I mean, after Pitt drives down the field, their second drive is a 94-yard drive. It's quick. It's concise. It's not really any big place, but they're just chunking you down the field, and then they end up in the end zone. That's when I knew. I was like, okay, if they, if they don't match it here on this drive, this, this, this is a long day ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And that's what ended up happening. Uh, I had no faith that this offense was going to be able to put up anything because, I, I mean, they were just getting off the field so often. And they couldn't convert third downs. They couldn't convert really anything. Yeah. This was a game plan where you're seeing Braxton Rummeister throw the ball more than he has ever had to in his career with an injured shoulder. I don't care how good to go he was mm. into wind throwing downfield, which is an element of the passing game, which they have just not showcased or put into the game plan in previous games. We've been asking all season long, Hey, we want to see some downfield movement. We want to see some vertical action. We have guys like Trey Turner, and Tavion Robinson that we want to see you use in that capacity. And they finally do it when there's wind and there's a guy who is banged up at quarterback and his arm already isn't that strong to begin with. And like the throws just were not there. There, there was and even still, you know, the receivers weren't getting that much separation. They weren't able to get the ball to them. The running game was again, putrid. I mean, you're, you're, here's the thing, your best running back in this game, in game six and the biggest game of the season for you, uh, at least, uh, circumstance-wise, was not even uh, one of your starters going into the season. Malachi Thomas was your best running back, and that just speaks to how many problems this offense has. They're, I mean, here, just looking through my game notes, well, first of all, they got less and less detailed as the game went on, as I just lost more and more interest. But, I mean, well, first of all, let me, let me just say as I'm looking at it, uh, it was pretty funny in the first quarter when a cheerleader dropped the sign onto the field because of a because of the wind so that was pretty funny that stopped the game for a minute but I mean here's what I'll say I think this game could be really be encapsulated with two very similar situations for both teams and it involves fourth and short situations and they both end up going for it Pitt's offensive line and Kenny Pickett got like three yards on their QB sneak play meanwhile the offensive line and Rex Burmeister got stuffed that's really how this game just went. Uh, the running game wasn't able to do anything. Passing game was definitely not able to do anything. And like the offensive line, you know, uh, Justin Fuente in his press conference today was talking about how it's upsetting to see a veteran group not being able to do as well as they had hoped. And look, you know, I, I've mentioned it losing the three guys that you did from last year's offensive line 
is going to kill you. And it's not going to allow you to do the same stuff that you were able to produce last season. You know, being able to have a guy in Cleo Herbert that helps get this team to a top 10 team in the country in rushing offense. And, you know, the limitations throwing the ball, that, that, that's the weirdest thing to me is the first five games of the season, it seemed like you wanted to be a team that wanted to run the football. And you did that, even though it wasn't that effective. That tells me that the coaching staff doesn't want to put too much on the throwing game because maybe they don't have too much trust in their quarterback. Well, now it seems like five games through, they're starting to give up on the run game entirely and come out and throw seven straight passes with a quarterback that they didn't have much faith in to start the season with a banged up shoulder throwing into wind. It was just so bizarre to me watching this offensive game plan go through. And look, this game, look, I, neither of us expected to win Virginia Tech to win this game. But this game obviously means a lot more than just the loss. Just It means more than just the two-game deficit you essentially have now in the Coastal Division with half of your season left to go, all ACC games. This game really hurt you in the eyes of the fan base. And this is something that I always want to talk about. I always want to talk about it after the Notre Dame loss and the West Virginia loss, and now the Pitt loss. You're one in three against opponents with a pulse, and you didn't look good against a group of five opponent, and you looked terrible against an FCS opponent. And you're five and a half years in with the staff here. And, you know, uh, Jake Lyman, our sports director here at 3304 Sports, and a host of the Text Online podcast. Go check that out. He's a very decorated man. Yes, decided he, he sent a message to us today talking about how, you know, on social media, if you don't go out and straight up call for people's heads, basically, don't, don't go out there and say that, you know, oh, we need to fire Justin Fuente. We need to fire Brad Pronelson. Don't do that. We're, you know, we, we, we here at 3304 Sports do not have the clout to do that and continue getting you know, press access. And, I don't think Colbert and I need to do that today. I don't think that it's necessary for that opinion to really be brought out. I think that at an objective glance, though, I think you can measure the temperature of the fan base and you can just overall look at the progress of the program. And you can see that this relationship is really starting to come to an end. And Justin Fonte was asked about it at his press conference today. And he basically said that you got to, you know, dial out that noise. But look, Justin Fonte said what he had to say at the post-game press conference. He said that, you know, it, that loss was on me, not getting a, not being able to get our guys out there with the energy and with the mindset that we needed. And that's on me. That's on the coach. So look, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's good that he said that. But also, it, it's kind of at this point, it feels like a relationship that's just kind of on the where, where both parties know that's the end. It's like the boyfriend who keeps saying, oh, honey, I'm not going to cheat on you again. And then, OK, well, where's the result in that? And you keep saying that. Where's where's the real change? Um, and that's at least the metaphor that I came up with. I, I mean, you can go back to Old Men, You can go back to Liberty. You can go back to, you know, Duke. This is, is this the most embarrassing loss under Justin Fuente? I would say no. Uh, no, no. It's certainly up there. I mean, two years ago, in your stadium, you have to pit 28-0, and then they come back two years later, and they 
trounce you 28-7. And your offense looked terrible. And your offense has continued to decline uh, in every single season. I mean, you had the bump up last year, but then after all that NFL talent and just overall good production left, look at where, look at where you are now. Um, look, taking the temperature of the fan base, I mean, all, all you have to do really for me is look at just the start of the game. Forget the fact that after halftime and in the third quarter, Lane Stadium was basically empty. South end zone was not full at all. And look, it's not the home opener after, you know, a COVID season where you couldn't pack the stadium and it's not a night game against a brand team. It's not a night game against a helmet team like Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame is going to sell tickets. Notre Dame as a brand is going to sell tickets. Oh, look, Notre Dame's coming to town. I want to go to that game. That's a big game. This Forget all that. that. This was the most important game of your season and you couldn't sell the stadium out. That to me, it's 100% a lack of confidence in the product. And, and then obviously, who's going to want to stay to watch that after halftime and through the third quarter? No one's going to want to stay and watch their team get their doors blown in. So I, I just really think that this relationship is going to come to an end here soon. Uh, and that honestly, that, that, that's purely objective. I don't, like, I, I don't think that's me saying an opinion of what I have at all. Cause you want like, do you want to know my opinion? I don't think Justin Fuente hates football. I don't think Justin Fuente hates Virginia tech. I don't think like any of that. I don't think negative of the man at all. Mm. It's just because like listening to his post-game presser, that's an, I, that just sounded like a man who was defeated. That sounds like a man who hated that he lost a football game. And, you know, I, I really don't have the ability to speak on whether or not he has the ties to the region because I don't have the ties to the region. So I'm not the person to moderate that conversation. But sometimes just things don't work out. And it really could have. Like Justin Fuente coming from Memphis could have been a really good hire. But just, you know, look at the track record and look at that loss and you look at the rest of the games and I'm not seeing anybody talk about this team. Like they're confident that this team can really bounce back and just win out the rest of the way and go to the last week with a, with a shot and going to Charlotte. No one's buying that. Like no, no one's, I, I'm not seeing anyone have the confidence in this team to do that. Objectively, when you're at a state like that, that doesn't really result in head coaches staying at programs for much longer. And I'm not saying, and like nothing's going to happen this week. I don't think anything's going to happen this week. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, you've got a Cuse game coming up this weekend, which, look, I'm not there yet, but spoiler alert, Colby Orn is. If you lose that game, then I could see some drastic changes happening. But I, I'm not thinking anything's happening this week. Uh, and just the rest of the way. I, I, I don't know what happens, but, you know, you lose to UVA again. That's not a good look for him. You know, this program when he came in prided itself on just absolutely beating up on them and not letting them win ever and lose to UVA. That's two times in three years that they've had the Commonwealth cup sponsored by Smithfield. <laughs> had to slip that in. Yeah. Uh, that's really what it is. And that's why that's, that's why I, I like doing this. That's why I like doing this podcast. That's why, that's why I like thinking about this. Cause yes. Can we break down the X's and O's? Sure. I really like talking about the impact that games have 
And that game's impact could be large. Um, but just like quickly on the X's and O's, like the offense looked not good. That was a really, really bad showing. That was the worst showing, like I said, that they've had since they've been here. And correct me if I'm wrong, because yeah, go for it. For, for listeners who are normally used to this, uh, normally I have questions coming after these games and whatnot, but I, I just kind of let Dan go with this one, particularly since he watched the whole game. Um, the one thing I want to ask uh, from what I remember is, wasn't Braxton like 7 for 20 at one point and didn't he finish like 11.34 or something? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know how he started. I didn't really keep track of that. I think he was like 7 I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to deny that. He threw more times than he ever has in his career, and he didn't complete a high percentage of them. There were mm-hmm. some downfield throws that just missed the target that were behind because of wind because he doesn't have the arm strength to do it. Uh, the best route of the day was like a couple slants here and there, and then those like cheeky curl routes that colleges love to run because college DBs can't really defend them. Um, but other than that, it obviously wasn't an impressive performance. And, you know, whether or not you want to say that, that pick that he threw should have been pass interference, you know, Tavion Robinson started to slip. It could have gone here or there. I think that's a game. No, look, he didn't outright lose you that game, but we talked about it all year where his talent level at quarterback is going to lose you more games than it wins you games. His, and I'm not going to say he played, I don't know how, how much I can put it on him that he played bad, but. I, I wouldn't because of where he is at right now. Like, yeah, him. he was hurt. Man. Like, and, and, and you know what? That's, like that's really unfortunate year. because yeah. you take a look at, and look, Virginia Tech is in Oklahoma. They don't bring in that level of talent, but Oklahoma had a Heisman candidate underperform, benched him, and then they put him in his backup, and they're playing better than ever. And Virginia Tech can't go to the bench because they know that what Braxton Vermeister is with a bum shoulder is probably better than whatever they got on the bench. They trust and, him more than they do Knox Kadem, and then Connor Blumberg, I think, is injured. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, it's, re- it's really just sad the more and more you look into it. Um, but look, I, I think I'm going to hand it over to you. And I think I know what you're going to talk about. You're going to talk about props to the defense and look, yeah, props to the defense. They did what they could. It's hard. I, they did look, I was talking about how I think there were cracks in this defense. And I think that some of those definitely got uh, shown and attacked on Saturday. You know, the run defense wasn't great. I mean, Kenny Pickett, like what more can you do? Um, the pressure was getting to him. Sometimes he just escaped it a lot. At that point, it's just like, okay, this is a guy that's playing his best season ever in college, and he's been in college for a long time, so he's an experienced guy. He's finally learning this offense. They didn't really have too many explosive plays. They just had that one play down the sideline uh, at the end of the first half, and then also they had their second touchdown of the game where it was just a better catch, even though it was, like, really, really good coverage. It's just like you can't stop that. You can't get mad about that. Uh, so, So the defense, they played... They, 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 that defense can win you football games, obviously. Um, I Look, where this team is right now, it's like they're a less good version of Iowa, where if Iowa doesn't generate 2,000 turnovers a game, you know, they lose, which is what they did to a Purdue team that, let's be honest, is not good. Um, yep. That's what Virginia Tech's defense has really been doing. Because, like, look at, look, look at it. 
the UNC game, if Sam Howell doesn't throw three picks, do they really win that game? I don't think so. If now, okay, obviously middle Tennessee, but that's a bad team. Uh, Richmond, bad team, but even still, if Richmond could score a little bit more, that defense really won you that game because your offense couldn't do anything. Um, and and well, well, granted, the one score that Richmond had was because of our offense. So. That's true. That you know what you're right. The defense uh, basically had him shut the mix out. West Virginia, you know, obviously gave him the two big plays early, but the defense. Kept the reason you got back, you had the shot at the end to win that game was because of our Jermaine, our Jermaine Waller pick. Yep. And then Notre Dame, a, a pick six. Uh, two interceptions overall that gave you the ball with opportunities to extend the lead, to take the lead, to, you know, close the game out and just couldn't do it. The defense didn't do that on Saturday, even though they played well and they got off, they got pit off the field a lot. They forced the most, they forced the most punts all seat that they have all season, mm-hmm. but they didn't turn the ball. And that's, I mean, they, they got that turnover on downs late in the game, but it is whatever. Uh, That's just kind of where the team is right now. Uh, they really need the defense to do a lot. And when they can't do stuff like that on, like on Saturday, it gets ugly. And, you know, 21 nothing going into halftime and then, you know, just trade touchdowns in the second half. I really don't think that that explains enough of how wide of a gap this was this season or uh, this, this Saturday. I really think that this game was a lot farther apart than the final score indicates. Yeah, I mean, from what I was able to tell, it looks like Pittsburgh really took their foot off the gas in the second half because I, I think that they knew they essentially had this game won. Um, I mean, I, I'm, you know, you already talked about it, but I am going to go with my very, very predictable talk when we get to VT. Props to the defense. Now, first of all, before I go any, into any more of that, prayers up for Jermaine. Uh, I don't know how bad the Waller injury is, but I know that he had to come off. I'm pretty sure he was seen in a boot after. So hopefully he gets back soon because he's been our best defensive player of the season. Yes. Let me just comment on that real quick. Uh, Justin Fuente at his press conference today, uh, well, he announced the season ending injuries of uh, Devin Hunter. And let me get the other name because, you know, I'll, I'll mess it up because uh, I want to mention it as well. But um, he did mention that Jermaine, uh, Dean Ferguson is also out for the season. Uh he said that Jermaine Waller's injury is not long-term, but he doesn't know how short-term it is. Mm-hmm. That's basically what he went with. So yeah, I, I assume we'll see him back at some point this season. I don't think it's too big of a deal for the next game. I would say we rest him against Syracuse, but definitely when you're moving towards like the away game against Georgia Tech, definitely the Boston College game, you're probably hoping that Waller's back if he is. Um, but like if you if you look at it, as you said, and I think that this is a huge point to harp on, I've been talking about, and this is something that we've agreed upon, that there were three truths to the ACC. Clemson has a strong defense, Virginia Tech has a strong defense, and Pittsburgh has the by far best offense in the ACC. And as you kind of, I think, briefly mentioned, but it's a huge point, though they let their foot off the gas, I think, we held them to under 40 points. That's the first time this happened this season. Even in the first half when the offense gave them no help, they were able to maintain them to 21, which technically speaking still kind of keeps you in the game. The defense has been great. or not Maybe not great, but definitely solid 
throughout every single game of the season. As, as you're talking about, Richmond, they won us that game. Middle Tennessee, they won us that game. North Carolina, they probably won us that game. Notre Dame, they should have won us that game, but we choked it. Um, the, the, I think, still bad targeting call um, on Hollowfield really hurt. And then against Pitt, it kept us in. You know, to be down only 21 nothing at half wasn't that bad of a situation. So huge props to them. And if I'm going to say one more thing, I don't think Clemson does that. I think Clemson's going to get scored on more than we did. Now, that might be because they let off the gas against us and they are going to go full pedal in the metal at home against Clemson this week. But I think that Pittsburgh is going to torch Clemson. Genuinely. I can so, see it. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a crazy thought to have. Uh, and just a quick just a quick point, they got up 28 nothing as opposed to 21-7 and then responding with another touchdown. So that's on me. Sure. Uh, I didn't know it got to 20 nothing because I th- you know what? At that point, here, here's what I was doing at that point. At that point, I was doing my dishes and I just kind of had the game on in the background at that point. And then I got back to the game and it was 28-7. Uh, so the order of things got messed up there. But honestly, man, they were playing great at the start of the game. They were. I'll, I'll give you that. You know what? So I'll admit, sometimes you use the word great a little bit too much, but they were. And then they just got tired. I, like, you can't ask them to do that for well, so Exactly. Long. Like, what, what are they supposed to do? Not get tired when the offense isn't able to stay on the field against one of the best offenses in not only the ACC, but in college football? <sighs> yeah. Here, let me <laughs> Here, let me just look at this. All right. One three and out. Two three and outs. Three, four, uh, a pick. Uh, five. All right. So you've got five three and outs just in the first half alone. And then you've got, let's see here, one. It's six three and outs. And then it looks like a handful of possessions that where you got a first down, but then you just didn't get another one and then you punt it again. Which hurts Man, so much bad. because, like, wh- what are they supposed to do? They can't do anything. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Get a, you got to get a pick six here. Like, you have to, like, or else, you know, we lose. You can't do that. You can't have them do that every week. It's, Man, it's it's just so frustrating. And we've been we've been yeah, on the offense it, for it, it, every game now. Yeah. It really it really just came to a head right here. Like that that I it, do agree. that game encapsulated this season so well. Uh the I only agree. problem the only problem was it wasn't close enough so that people can't write this one off. Like they could write off the West Virginia game. Oh man, they were so close. They were a yard away. Uh speaking of which, short yard situations. Dear God, help this team. And now oh, West man. Virginia is what? Notre Dame, they were a field goal away from beating a ranked opponent. You were not close against Pitt at all. And yeah. boy, it was it was bad. And yeah. I mean, hey, just back to the point. This game probably broke a lot of people. I don't, you know, if we were doing a radio show, today would be all about having people call up. And this the, the, the main topic wouldn't be about the game. It'd be about Justin Puente. And it would be about Brad Cornelson. But again, the, the thing about Brad Cornelson is, and this goes for any offensive coordinator. And again, I like what Braxton Burmeister said earlier in the season. If something goes wrong, you know, you blame the quarterback, you blame the offensive coordinator. Brad Cornelson is calling the game that Justin Fuente wants to call. Justin Fuente is not like disassociated from the offense entirely. That's impossible. He's an offensive coach. He's been with Cornelson for years. And at, like ever since Memphis, this is, this is the game plan that they went into the game with. So I, I, I can't say objectively this is just a Brad Cornelson problem. Like, this is an offensive coaching staff problem. Uh, so, yes, t- today would be about 
fielding the calls and fielding questions and just getting people's opinions on Fuente. Because I know that there were already a lot of people out on this coaching staff coming into the season. Uh, this game, without a doubt, turned a lot of people that were on the fence. And this moved a lot of people from safety from safety to on the fence. Like this moved people in a negative direction. It, there's no way it doesn't. I mean, I, I really don't know what else to say. Uh, passing attack bad, running game bad again. Uh, yeah. I defense, mean, defense, even defense the did their job, but then they just, there's no help, no help on the other side of the ball. To even highlight the running game though a bit as well, let's even talk about that. You and I agree, and though he didn't show it, in it you and I agreed that Raheem Blackshear should have been the clear-cut number one guy this week. Yep. We agreed on that. And what happens? He has seven touches. Let's look at everyone else. Jalen Holson has five. Braxton Burmeister, I'm not going to count because he's technically speaking the leading rusher on the team. And sacks count right. for running attempts in college for some reason. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not even going to count that. But then you also have here in which it's cool. I'm actually kind of okay with this. Malachi Thomas, a freshman. Now, I will say this. In as big of a game as what this is, you probably shouldn't have been going towards a freshman. No. But Malachi Thomas put up his best game of his freshman year. I think he's only had touches in like two. And in this game, he went six for 33. And before that, I think I saw a stat for five to 15. So, I mean, congrats to the freshman for having a pretty good game on the ground. Maybe we'll see more of him uh, this coming week against Syracuse. But when you're in that big of a game and with how like solid Blackshear has overall looked just he's had some bad runs like run designs the fact that you don't give Blackshear honestly 12 plus touches uh, in the ground game I think is a bit disappointing um and then when you can't hit Tavion Robinson for like a blow-up pass either he was 5 of 20 with the touchdown and granted his touchdown catch was incredible that's the one positive of this game yeah that that was was, was pretty pretty that's one of two like he was PI'd all over the place. And I, I felt like this is the first week that I've really heard fans talking about Tavion, which is great for me. I talked about on this podcast plenty of times how big of a fan I am of him and how I think he is a great, great receiver. Um, I don't know. I mean, that, that was just a highlight play. So big props to him. But it's just oh, and you know what? There's also big props here as well. Uh, I think, what, was it Trey Turner's uh, 200th catch in the program? Something like that. It was that a better yards uh, game, yeah. 2,000 yards that he got. I, I, th- I think it was 2,000 yards. I didn't remember if it was 2,000 yards or 200 catches, but either way, big props to him as well. Another guy who's been incredible for our program for as long as he's been here. Um, yeah, I've yeah, been here for a while. Um, yes, it was the two, it was uh, 2,000 yards uh, career at Tech. Um here's the thing this game plan we've been talking about it you know get the ball to your best guys mm-hmm. and your best guys on offense are trey turner and Tavian robinson yep it seemed like they wanted to do that but it seemed like they didn't know how they wanted to do that there was no creativity in mm-hmm. this passing game at all and i and at the beginning of all game planning i think it comes down to the offensive line the offensive line and the protection schemes and just, you know, the overall ability to protect the quarterback, that that's where you start. If you don't feel confident in your passing protection, you're not really going to have too much creativity in your route designs, which just kind of seemed like where it was. I mean, again, like I said, 
it didn't seem like Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner were running too difficult of routes. They were running curls. Trey was running a lot of, you know, nine, just straight down field, uh, a lot of fades, which is, uh, which is something that he runs a lot. Uh, even if, you know, and that seems like where they allow their quarterbacks to push the ball down the field the most, but it just didn't seem like they were, you know, getting the ball to them in the most effective way. And again, I think that starts with the protection, which again, just was not good. I mean, offensive line has been a problem this year. Yeah. I, I really think that's where it ends with the receiving game. Like they tried to get it to their two best guys, which is good. Uh, but man, they couldn't really, it, it seemed like there was no creativity in how they got the ball to them uh, with route combinations, which maybe that's a theme of the offensive staff and their game planning as a whole. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, for me, I don't think there's too much more that we can say just based off of how much we've talked about it. in the Without, without getting repetitive. And that's what I've wanted to avoid. Yeah. Um, what I'll mention is this. Um, there's, there's something else I want to mention. I'm going to see if I can get it back into my head. But one thing I will say is, um, on Twitter, there are, uh, these little like Twitter spaces, which, uh, the more I've actually gone into them, the more I've actually kind of found them to be very intriguing. And there's always one held by, uh, someone else who holds a podcast, uh, Don V. Uh, I don't know if you've been involved in these. However, yep. uh, I, I've went in and listened during some of those. And during those, you'll actually even have players come. Uh, hmm. Like, you'll have, like, Eric Kuma. Uh, I think God, there's the, the Divine Diablo hopped in for a little bit. Trey oh, Turner, really? Divine Diablo hopped in? Yeah, Trey Turner even hopped in for a little bit. He didn't talk. Neither... Uh, he nor Diablo talked, but they both hopped in and listened for a little bit. All right. Um, there's someone else. It was something with like two C's. It was like, I think Carter something. Mm. Um, but there, there's like, you know, there's a couple more guys in there. Don V gets and, a lot of high profile people to talk to oh, on absolutely. his podcast. Yeah. I mean, big, guy, big shout out Don V. Yeah. I appreciate what he does a lot because I really yeah. like how he taps into the fan base. And yeah. I really think that a lot of people ignore that aspect of things when they talk about this team, because whether or not they're employed by the team, they're employed by the school, whether they're just employed by a, a paper or whatever they do, that ability to tap into a fan base and know what the people want. That's what speaks to me most. Absolutely. And I'm not going to talk much about what I heard during this one, specifically because of it being very negative. Yes. Um, but what I will say is if you want another perspective that isn't just ours or you're interested in hearing former players' perspectives, particularly on the coaching staff, yes, that is a place I would highly recommend to go to um, because they were very critical of the coaching staff during that. There was things that I even heard from the players that I've not heard from like anywhere else, or at least I don't think I have. Yes. And it was very intriguing to hear. That's what I'll say on that. Um, you know, Don V, he has, uh, I, I, I feel like he definitely has a reputation within the fan base for people who are uh, against what he has to say. Uh, he, he is definitely more yeah. on the negative side of things. But uh, at the same time, I feel like it's just him speaking his truth. I 
And, you know, I talked, I actually brought up Don V, you know, when we were talking about the bye week, uh, that Monday show after the bye, yep. where I talked about uh, former players coming on and uh, coming on his show, coming on Don V Fridays and talking to him and, you know, basically letting out what happened with them at Tech, what happened with them and Justin Fuente, what happened between them. So he gets a lot of inside stories. And again, that ability to tap into a fan base, I, I, I respect it. I, I, I can't deny that. Um, that those spaces are definitely for people who are in the get rid of this guy camp. Uh, I don't think you're going to find any pro Justin Fuente, Brad Cordelson uh, fans in there. Oh, no, surely not. In those spaces. But like I said, regime change can usually be showcased with uh, an apathetic fan base, a fan base that just doesn't care anymore. And look, that's what after halftime crowd and after third quarter crowd looked like uh, from this past week. And look, man, this that's Syracuse game is, I don't know what the, what the numbers are going to look like for this Syracuse game, for how many people are going to be there. It's going to be, I, I'm very interested in the attendance for this game because then after this, you have five games left in the season, only one of them at home. The Duke game at home, first of all, if you lose, if you lose to Syracuse, then I think that a change happens, honestly. I don't think that this is, I don't think we're quite there yet. If you lose to Syracuse, I think a change does happen. If you don't play well against Syracuse, but still win, but then you lose your next couple games and then you go to come into the uh, Duke game, it's the last home game of the season, but you're like barely, you know, you might not even make a bowl game. Will people show up for senior day? I honestly will be interested to see how that happens. Uh, And I'll be interested to see how attendance picks up or stays the same. Uh, for this weekend because yeah just the start of this game again <laughs> this it didn't seem like they like people knew that this was the biggest game of the season like this had the most impact on the season because they had seen the team play poorly for the past five games and he, yeah. even though they played well against north carolina at home uh at the home opener the offense obviously flamed up but the defense played well the whole night this was the biggest game of the season. Like, just let's reiterate. Let's reiterate that again. It was the biggest game of the year. I don't think there's going to be a bigger game than this all season. That probably was it. And they didn't, they, they couldn't show out. And to me, yes, that speaks to the fact that, I mean, it, it, you look at the schedule, it's Pittsburgh. It's not, it's not Notre Dame. It doesn't bring in that crowd. But man, that, that, that speaks to something in the fan base for me. Yeah, I mean, and that's my last point as well. It's the two things of that. First of all, that's the first Virginia Tech home game that I've missed during my time as a Virginia Tech student. Um, I didn't watch it. I didn't go to it. I've, Whenever there's been an opportunity to go to Virginia Tech games since my freshman year, I've went. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to every single one the freshman year, win or lose, rain or shine, uh, rain or the sun, anything. I was at those games. Um the games during the pandemic, I think I watched every single one. Um, the home game, I could be wrong. I know there's some other like weird things like that made it hard to watch games, um, at least on my end. And then I've been to every home game this year that we've had, which is uh, the Richmond, the Middle Tennessee, UNC, and Notre Dame until Pittsburgh. Partly, it's 
uh, actually not partly. All of it is because I knew I was going to be disappointed at that game. Mm. Uh, We talked about it. So that's the first game I've missed. And then from an overall fan standpoint, I think that's like people were comparing that to the Duke blowout, like from a few years ago. That was bad. That was, I, I was there. That was, that was, you know, freshman year. I walked out of that game. I'll admit, I walked out of that game in the third quarter. I, I was done. I think it was after the fake punt touchdown or something that Duke ran. I was done. I, I don't remember what I did for that game. Um, I may have stayed the whole time because it may have been one of the first games of the season. Mm. So I was like, screw it. Why not? Um, but yeah, like that's the second game in a row where it was basically the beginning of the third quarter. And not only did you, as you mentioned, not sell out the stadium for what was at this point our biggest game of the season. Um, but on top of that, you know, like at that third quarter point, basically half the stands were empty. Yeah. Like North Stand was starting to get cleared. Uh, most of the East Student Stand section was barren. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can, just find the, you, can, you can just find the pictures on social media. It was it was empty. You want you want to know the fans' opinion on the team? You think that you know there's there's a high opinion of like anything on the team for anyone that's like the higher ups. That's all you had to see. That's all you had to see. That's usually that's so, usually what it looks like before something happens. And again, yep. not gonna happen this week. I think. We're looking. I mean, if, we're if, looking you to, if you lose to Syracuse, it probably happens next week. But you beat Syracuse, you probably just get through until UVA. You lose to UVA, even if you beat UVA. I mean. When we start to look like what's, 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 what's a seven and five? What's a seven and five record? Uh, that. I, I, I mean that that's more, that's more, that's mainly a hypothetical. I mean, but like yeah, what what is a seven and five record to me? It, maybe it's not bad, but it's nothing. And six years in, objectively, you can't be delivering nothing. That's that's objective to me. And yeah, I agree. I have no signs that this can be like a year seven thing that Jim Harbaugh is doing at Michigan. Before this year, Michigan fans wanted Jim Harbaugh dead. And they were expecting this to be a six and six, seven and, fl- seven and five, you know, slog to the end of the season where they get whipped by, by uh, Ohio State. Now they're, you know, seven other top 10 team in the country. Well, they're going to be seven and they have to play Northwestern, which is going to a win. Uh, and look, they go into a game again. You know what? I just brought myself to it. I, I have to explain why I'm disappointed today. The Michigan-Michigan State game in two weeks that I'm going to go to. I'm going to go home. I'm going to see my friends. I'm going to have a great time. It's going to be at noon, and I hate it. <sighs> Anyways, they're going to go into that game. It's a top-ten matchup in East Lansing, and whoever wins that, you know, just go out and do what you can against Penn State and Ohio State. Michigan fans did not expect this to happen. I can't see the same turnaround happening at Virginia Tech mm-hmm. for Fuente and staff in a potential year seven. Well, I, I, say I, have, I, have, I don't have the – I don't have the past seasons of success, which at the very least Harbaugh could at least get you to nine wins minimum versus, you know, you know, taking a down year in COVID. Like it's not like this was some team that was winning nine or 10 games a year before this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, I think well that's good place to end this, it. this is the last thing. This oh, yeah, you, you, close us out. Close us out. This is the only thing I had on Virginia Tech. Um, we talked about at the beginning of the season, our record predictions and everything. Mm. Um, and I was very optimistic about our offense where I am definitely not now. 
Uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of it's just because Braxton's been injured and in which feel bad for him because I think he could have had a decent season, but continuing. Uh, we now have officially, uh, what is this? One, two, three. So we have six games left, two home games. What I wanted to ask was a reassessment of this team as we're halfway through and what you think their record is going to be. I think you said six and six at the beginning of the year. I did. And then after the UNC game, I was leaning more towards eight. And then after Notre Dame, I think I was leaning more towards seven. Look, looking at the last six games, I see a lot of three and threes, which I understand. I see four and two. I mean, here's the thing. Syracuse, I think, should be a win. Again, it's not, you know. (laughs) But Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's the toss-up game for me right now. I think you lose to UVA. I think you lose on the road to BC. And then you should beat Duke. And then you should beat Miami. But all these games are toss-up. The most toss-up easiest game for me is Georgia Tech, and I have that as a win right now. It's all about if your defense can contain Sims. Uh, Because if you can't, then, you know, Georgia Tech can really explode. They've been one of the most inconsistent teams in the ACC this year. I mean, you got to get turnovers, which is something you can't ask the defense to do every week. You got to find a way to make the offense work. The rest of these games are going to be unwatchable and just not fun to consume for the average football fan. So right now, I mean, offense bad or yeah, offense bad, defense good, special teams good. I'll go seven and five. Uh, with, with a win this weekend against Q's. Here's what I'm going to say. I am surprisingly more negative than you, Mark. Wow. I, mean, it, it, I, it, I can't blame you. Well, and, and that's not because, like, I'm wanting to be negative, but it's because of what I'm looking at in these games. Uh, I mean, when you're looking at it in the games, the Georgia Tech game is at Georgia Tech. And uh, sure, they've been very inconsistent, but, like, the, I don't know. I just feel like that it's a little bit more of a scary prospect. I don't. I honestly don't think we lose to Georgia Tech, but I think that is a scary game to look Absolutely. at. Uh, Boston College, I do think we're going to lose there. Friday Night Lights in Boston. Boston hasn't been a dreadful team this year. Uh, the only way I think we win, I mean, honestly, the only way I think we win both Georgia Tech and Boston College is because of our defense. And I think well, we, we would can win games. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we'd need, like, at least a pick six in one, if not both of those games, or some sort of, uh, inter- like, a def- defensive touchdown. You and need to turn the ball over like crazy. You need to make them yeah. turn the ball over. And, and, and I think they can, because I don't think that Sims is the, like, most accurate. I mean, uh, basically, he's averaging uh, five uh, five completions for every eight passes, which is actually okay. That's not um, but then on top of that, Grossel, I think, is starting to go a little bit more towards what uh, you've been rating Boston College really high on our rankings. It's, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to drop him this week. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. but like Grossel, if you looked at his freshman year, he was like basically a touchdown to an interception or worse in that ratio, and he's starting to get it towards that ratio now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if our defense can expose him as they sh- as they should, there's a possibility. But beyond that, the one you all highlight is this, You're, and since you've already mentioned it, I'm going to go into it. We're losing in Syracuse this weekend, and here's why. I, oh, no, I, know, I know the reason why, but, yeah, go give it to the people. I didn't think that Pittsburgh was going to be able to run on us. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was something I talked about. I was really scared about the Kenny Pickett part. They're really – their run game hadn't been great. 
They went 21-140 on the ground with their top rusher. Yep. That's already a negative sign when Sean Tucker has been one of the best running backs in the NFL, or not NFL, NCAA. <laughs> um, and their quarterback has also been way better on the ground than he has been in the air. Here's what I'll so say. That's already a negative. Here's what I'll say about this, though, about, about their quarterback. This Garrett Schrader kid, oh, my God, he cannot throw. Yeah, like, it is it is unbelievably bad. That ball that he threw that was that long touchdown, that should have been a pick easily every right. day, especially boy, on Sunday. can he run. He can run. That's the thing. That's where, yes, I'm concerned about the run defense. And I was concerned about it going into pit, especially after, especially after, after Notre Dame and after all the games, it does scare me. But on top of that, yeah. the one other thing is this, and I think you know where I was going to go with this. We talked about it after Notre Dame. I think that we were two and 13 when the game's within a three point differential. So what's expected to be a close game. Oh no. Oh no, what's the Syracuse game looking? BT the three points. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, he's invoking the Vegas angle, and I can't I can't argue with it. Yeah. Like Vegas is saying this is gonna be a close game again. And I can't argue with Vegas then. And with how hot that this Syracuse offense has been, and with how cold our offense has been, and Though, as I said, I don't think it's this huge of a loss. Still, losing Jermaine Waller as a leader on that defense is going to mean something. What black magic does Vegas have? How does Vegas always know? This past weekend, two of my teams, Michigan State's just marching on into Indiana, and they're balling. They're doing everything right. Kenneth Walker is a Heisman favorite. Peyton Thorne's throwing it all over the field. The line for that game was minus four and a half. Michigan State won by five. How on paper is that game close? That game shouldn't be close. Michigan mm-hmm. State decided to make Indiana's defense look like Georgia. And then my Cowboys go into New England yesterday and have to go to overtime against Mac Jones when they should have. Like, I'm convinced that Vegas made sure that the refs did not call that Dak Prescott sneak. And they made <laughs> Dak fumble the football. And they made Dak throw yeah. the turnover. And they made Connor Williams decide to be terrible again. Vegas practices such a dark magic. It's insane. I don't know how they always know because on paper, none of the, none of the things they say make sense. Now this yeah. that, that spread to me that spread to me makes sense at least. Well, we'll talk about Dallas when we get into the NFL portion on the next episode. But yeah. that means basically, I'm I'm basically I feel confident that it's a loss to Syracuse this week. I think we're gonna win either one or two of the games against Georgia Tech Boston College. I feel like it's gonna be a a, a, a split. Mm-hmm there then we'll come back home and duke is dreadful if we lose to duke that's embarrassing here's the thing Um, uva was able to stop mateo durant but can you yeah that's the thing even though it's duke i i I know duke is awful i think you win that game too if we're we're worried about if we're worried about sean talker we should be worried about mateo durant i I agree but uh, still uva does have one of the softest defenses and we're at home that's why i feel pretty comfortable saying that that's going to be a win so that's right. two. Uh, I'm going to say that that's two wins. I'm not going to say that's three. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Miami game's a win because they've been bad. So I'm yep. going to say that that's three. And I'm going to say the UVA game is a loss. So you're at six and six right now. I'm at seven and five. I'm at six and six. I, again, the I Georgia think, Tech game to me is a toss up. Um, I think I, I lean really in one. there. But the problem is outside of that one game two years ago where they just went on a business trip to Atlanta. Justin Fuente and staff have been bad against Georgia Tech. I will say, I think there is a line where we get, win eight games, which would be every single game past Syracuse. But I don't think that that's 
like reasonable. I think it's more reasonable to say that we're a six and six team than a eight and four or even a seven and five. But I could see getting that area still. Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, if the team looks the same every week and you're just edging out these wins, what's eight wins to six wins? I really, I agree. I, I can't make that differential at that point, guys. I'm sorry. Particularly in a season where we should be challenging for the ACC title. I agree. Yep. yep. All right. Well, let's move on now. Let's get into college football as a whole this past weekend. Yep. So first of all, it will be our last conversation here on the ACC. And one of these questions I have to change because I was actually making them uh, like right after college football. And there is one question that is now different. Um. Like, like Why does Zeno Waver still have a job? Why didn't you make that decision, honestly? But the first question is, and the last question for the ACC, is Pittsburgh the clear-cut best ACC team? Yes. I got. I mean, come on. They, they exposed some cracks in Virginia Tech's defense. They took what they could. They got limited. But look, if you put Wake Forest against Pitt, Pitt's winning by 10. That I, I really think that that I, I think Pitt's defense is getting better, and again, sure. Wake, For, Wake Forest's offense they can't keep up with Pitt. I really don't think that they could. Um, I think they can score points. I think Wake Forest would be able to score points on them. But honestly, after seeing what NC State did on the road to BC, could Wake Forest be worse than North Carolina State? I don't know yet. Well, I, I'm interested to see that matchup most of all in the Atlantic, but. Obviously, Pitt's number one in the Coastal, and I'm ready to put them number one overall. I think that Pitt is definitely, I think they're clear-cut top three. I think there is a clear-cut top three. I'm going to say no. However, I'm going to save it for when we talk about our ACC standings, okay. why it's a no. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you all on a cliffhanger, but I do think <laughs> it's, I don't think they're a clear-cut best team. I, I, I'm fine with that. I, I, let, let me guess one of your reasons. Is it because Wake Forest has just played more in conference? No. Okay. All right. Well, then, then we, you, we you shall might, see on might, Friday. You might be surprised by it. Okay. <clears throat> but <clears throat> continuing now, uh, to get a couple games here out of the Big 12, uh, first of all, this isn't really more of a question, more it's just we're talking about this. I'm done with Texas football. <laughs> I'm tired of it. Texas um, is back, folks. Oh, what a soundbite that was. Um, all right, yeah, continue on with what you're saying, then I'll go, then I'll jump in. I'm, I'm so done with Texas football, man. Their defense is dreadful. Uh, but John Robinson and Casey Thompson are awesome, I like them, but they're just it's it's a poorly coached defense, it's, a, it's just not a great team. And the fact that you're losing that game to Oklahoma State again is just really bad. Congrats, to Okie State, you're now a top 10 team. I don't think they've really had much to really merit their being a top 10 team, but they are so good for them, they're still undefeated. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm done with this Texas football team and I'm not going to lie. Probably if you put them in picks again, I don't think I'll pick them unless it's like Kansas. Mm. Well, I mean, Kansas has beat them historically before, but, uh, no. Yeah. Look, it's year one for Sark and they're showing signs of something, uh, you know, getting blown out by Arkansas, who's a better team than you, but then, you know, coming back, I, I think they have momentum. Uh, well, here's the thing. I'm not a guy that believes in season to season momentum. So however, Sark decides to build this moving forward, 
will be interesting to see. Uh, I feel like they're close. And I feel like they've been close for a while now. They just need the guy to get it over the hump. It just comes down to whether or not Sark's that guy. Um, but John Robinson is not NFL draft eligible after this season. So next season he's back. Yep. And Casey Thompson, I think, can be a really good quarterback. And I think he could potentially – like, I think he could be a star in college football. And he wasn't the starter at the start of the season. So at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Just got to learn how to play with the lead and got to learn how to play some defense. I know you're in the Big 12. I know it's hard, but got to learn how to do it eventually. Yeah, I mean, it is annoying. I mean, they aren't going to be in Big 12 for too much longer, but. That's true. Well, then you better hope you can play some defense by the time you get to the SEC. Well, I mean, in fairness, SEC does have a lot of bad defenses, so. That's true. Um, they are better They are better than Big 12, though. Sure. At basically everything. <laughs> I mean, sure. But, you know, a team that may not be better, uh, that may not be bested by many SEC teams now, with that being Oklahoma. Uh, they have looked great since Caleb Williams has come into the team. Uh, we've talked about it. I mean, honestly, he's someone that at this rate could possibly even start entering the Heisman conversation. I think it's too late for it, but I think that he might just get his name tossed to, like into the ring. Somebody will throw him in third place in their voting because narratives. <clears throat> but continuing, um, is OU really feeling like a college football playoff lock? I think we may have talked about it last week, but I do really want to emphasize it this week after – Another pretty dominant win against TCU. Yes. Uh, they're starting to feel like it. The energy that this team is playing with Caleb at quarterback is really, really good. Spencer Rattler wasn't getting it done. Just pure and simple. And look, they're entering Big 12 play now, and they've had two really impressive wins. Uh, obviously, big comeback with Caleb uh, against Texas, and then big win against TCU. They're going to continue to roll. Uh, their hard games aren't until the end of the season. I mean, Kansas and Texas Tech back-to-back don't necessarily scare me at all. Uh, but Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, two of those on the road, those are your big challenges. And having them overcome those obviously makes them a college football playoff lock. They get to the championship game. They win that. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I, I really like the way that they're playing right now. Uh, I completely agree. And the only other thing I can really add to this is uh... – what I even added last week, big shout out, Kenny Brooks. I really like him. I think he's a great running back. I think he's an NFL capable running back. And he's now for this season, just an attempt short of a hundred averaging almost seven yards a carry with seven touchdowns. So big for him. We're going from the big 12 now into the big 10. Uh, the one thing that we just get to talk about is Iowa pulling in Iowa. I mean, my notes are Iowa parentheses LMAO. Um, it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Big Twi- uh, Big Ten football. Look, I'm not going to say that I was waiting for this to happen. I thought it could have been different. I mean, you you know my concern with them all season. It's can they keep up their turnovers and can they produce an offensive product that doesn't make you want to hate football? And the answer to that was no. And they lose to Purdue at home. Uh, look, if that game was at night, they would have won by 30 touchdowns but it was at noon. So they lose and look, man, <laughs> welcome to big 10 country. Iowa pulls in Iowa. It's not what they do necessarily. Usually they get a loss earlier on in the season. They're still, let me just get the standings up because I think that they still have the path to winning the West. No. Uh, yeah. They're still in the lead. Obviously they can't lose again, but yeah, I, they're not a top 10 team. That offense is 
fake. And if you can just keep control of the ball, you have a good chance at winning. So yeah, that that's, that's yeah. just how Iowa goes this year. And that's look, it's how they go a lot of years, honestly. That's crazy with how good they looked up until now. Uh, definitely a very embarrassing loss to Purdue. As you said uh, earlier in the show, not a great college football team. Nope. And yeah. Don't look at 25 in front of their name now, fool you. I mean, Purdue is not good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's sad. Uh, they'll probably beat Wisconsin just because they're bad at all. Wisconsin is terrible. Oh my God. Graham Mertz is going to throw five pick sixes. Yeah. But I, I could see Minnesota doing something if it's oh, like wait, game Whoever, Whoever's going to quarterback for Wisconsin is going to throw five picks. Yeah. So, I mean, basically the West could still be theirs, but I could see Minnesota beating them. And that's really it. Uh, just embarrassing. Uh, but just moving on from as quick of Iowa's talk was, I did also want to give a quick shout out to UTSA. The first time that they have ever been ranked in the top 25. Yeah, uh, Twitter was pushing for it. Uh, the Roadrunners, meet me. Um, yep. Look, it, it, it's a cute story. And I love when stuff like this happens. You know, a program just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's the Coastal Carolinas and the UCFs and the Cincinnati's. We always love it. Uh, very, very small program. I mean, I'm pretty sure they've, they've never been ranked before. Um, you know, Conference USA team. It's a nice story. Now, obviously, uh, I, I don't know what the rest of the Conference USA looks like this year. But sure. no, yeah, good, good for them. I, I'm never gonna put down yeah. a team for just kind of being at the table. Yeah, and I mean, even look at it here. Some nice wins for Utes, uh, uh, being able to beat Illinois in Illinois uh, after they won the uh, Sean Evans Bowl, which has what's got us started into the picks this season. Ah, yes. uh, beat, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they beat MTSU not too far off by what we beat them. Maybe I'm 27-13. Well, that's upsetting. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> they they were able to beat Memphis in Memphis. And then they also had a fun game against, I think, another team that's actually had a pretty decent college football season. Yeah, with uh, uh, being led by quarterback Bailey Zappi, uh, the senior for Western Kentucky, uh, which was they're beating Western Kentucky uh, in Western Kentucky by, I'm just trying to do quick math here, six points. So, yeah, I mean, Pretty impressive performances. Uh, they'll have some other teams that I think could, could cause concern, like maybe a UTEP, uh, maybe UAB. But beyond that, good for them. They're ranked. They've earned it. So that's nice. It's a good story. Yeah, good story. Definitely. Um, but then moving on from that now, we are going to move into the SEC. What we get to talk about a lot here, and I'm actually going to lead off with this story. Uh, how do we feel about Coach O? and LSU uh, confirming to part ways at the end of this year. I'm confused at why they're letting him finish out the run. And there's a weird thing in his clause for his buyout that, well, obviously you can't become an SEC coach for the next number of years, which I'm fine with. Uh, makes sense. You know, you don't want him to go to a rival school. The confusing part to me is he has to show up to uh, LSU events, like one, one a year for the next couple of years, which confuses me because you're basically telling him get out of here, but we still want to keep you around. Now I, that part is obvious. You know, he has a reputation there. People love him. He's a guy to root for if you're in that part of the country. I mean, I, I don't think there's a better match for coach personality with region than Ed Orgeron and LSU. 
at the end of the day, I'm going to try not to use the phrase lightning in a bottle, but the Joe Burrow, Joe Brady year was sensational. Yeah. Take that away. And LSU under Ed Orgeron is a program that can recruit a little bit, but if they don't have the right coordinators, they're a flat football team and you know, they're treading barely above 500. They're nine and eight since that national championship run. Uh, this coming off of a big upset over Florida can be a little bit surprising, but I mean, the writing was on the wall. I mean, this is a team that you want, you just want them to be better under him. And look, maybe this is, you know, bad practice, but I'm of the thought that LSU is one of the top five programs in the country. Definitely top 10. This is how real football programs want to run. It's a, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately business? And ever since that year, they haven't looked great. So yes, is this a job? Maybe that quick trigger could be uh, scary to coaching candidates. But look, LSU wants to get the best guy possible to run the ship, to run the ship. And at this point, it just didn't seem like Edward John was the way to go for them moving forward. Yeah, uh, I, I do agree with what you said. Um, it was bad. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where he gets his next job. I don't think he's going to be off the market for long. I don't think he's just going to go back to another SEC school. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a little bit crazy. Uh, I now know that there's a coaching list popping up for LSU, but I'm also going to say this. Let's be honest. I don't think LSU gets, like, an insane head coach following him. Like, I saw Lane Kiffin on there, and I'm like, He's not going to leave Ole Miss for LSU at this point. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. There's a lot. There's a, just obviously a lot of names. And it's because it's a job that's so big. Uh, we'll see. You know, it, when yeah. – here's what, here's what it does, and here's what's at least smart about it if you're keeping them on. The fact that they announced it so early, and that's what you have to do. To, because in order to get on top of the coaching search – you have to make the early announcement and you have to say, okay, our guy is gone. Like we're being done. We, we got to start looking for guys now. And that can, and you know, those, you know, behind closed doors deals. That's what really gets those conversations started. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's too much else to that. I, I definitely agree with that. So moving on from that news in the SEC, which is definitely the big news, particularly after they beat Florida uh, this weekend, um, the next thing is sad to talk about, but our Suey pigs and the fact that they've kind of fallen off so much, including the loss this weekend to Auburn. Is this the end of the dream for Arkansas? Well, it's the end of the dream for them making a New Year's Six Bowl, that's for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, look, after the Texas A&M win and, and after the Texas win when they got ranked, we were thinking, okay, could Arkansas football be back a little bit? And look, New Year, they, we knew that they were going to lose to Georgia. Come up short against Ole Miss, you know, it's, it's bad. But, you know, at the very least, we, know, we knew that those two teams were at least somewhat even. Losing to Auburn, I don't think you can do. Uh, Auburn, Auburn really does not impress me this year. I don't think that they're dangerous at all. I think this is just a game where you drop the ball. Now, your next three games, you can definitely regain momentum here. But you're going to need – just absolutely slaughtered by Alabama. Uh, so this is like, this is an eight win team, but here's the thing. This is an eight win team with some positive, like this is a positive season by season growth. 
So at the very least, I can say, okay, this is an eight-win team that means a little bit. Yeah. In their biggest games, they lost, but they have some, but they have something here. And so for this year, yes, this is probably the this is probably the end for them. Uh, but you know, they'll be they'll they'll be better off moving forward. I think. No, I definitely agree. I mean, I think it's definitely the end for this year, which was mostly what I was uh, bringing this up for. But I do think that moving forward, this will still be a good sign for them. I mean, Kamar Jefferson is a sophomore, which means that he still has at least one more year of eligibility before he uh, would leave uh, for the NFL, um, assuming that's where he's going to want to go. But you, you, I, like, I think that you might be able to maintain a good bit of your pieces. Maybe Sherilyn Burks will be able to stay around, etc. So I feel like you can maintain pieces, but mostly what this year does is it gets a lot of confidence in your football program as you are able to put up a strong game against Ole Miss. Uh, you're able to beat Texas A&M, who you now know are a team that was also able to beat Alabama um, after they A&M fell off for a little bit. Uh, they're able to be pretty dominant against Texas earlier on in the year before they made their quarterback switch, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's some highs to look at. And it's not like this uh, Auburn game. It's not like you didn't compete, but definitely losing to Auburn at home by 15 points isn't a great look. It's probably your worst look of the season, uh, honestly, worse than Georgia. But beyond that, you're definitely going to win, you know, I would say at least three more games, possibly four, uh, to get to that seven five or eight and four record. You're definitely not going to make an NY six bowl. You may not even make like a big, big bowl. Like you might get lucky to get a bowl at this point, but still good on you. And it's just going to lead to good things in the future. Um, and the next one here, uh, was my question is, is, uh, Texas A&M, uh, seeing that they're able to play spoiler against Alabama. Uh, my question for you moving forward with the Aggies is can they play spoiler again? As I, I think you're looking up, like, I, I see where I was going with, with this question. Like, my question was can they play spoiler again? Because they still have some uh, like other really good teams on their schedule. You've got Auburn, you've got Ole Miss. Uh, they could possibly play spoiler in the SEC playoffs. So what do you think? I mean, I'm going to go with no, just because, I mean, at face value, what can they really spoil? Because Alabama still controls their destiny. Uh, sure. They, they have those two SEC losses, so it's not like they're going to all of a sudden get into, you know, SEC West contention. Um, if the question is just flat out, can they beat Auburn and Old Miss? Sure, why not? Uh, I, I mean, I'll go along with it. Yeah, they got spanked around by the Razorbacks earlier this year, but you know, they're bouncing back. They're having a nice little bounce back here. So, I mean, yeah, they could beat Ole Miss and Auburn, which, I mean, that here, here's the thing. Right now, uh, oh, man, the, the Iron Bowl looks big. The Iron Bowl, if both those teams continue to win out, looks big. So if they beat Auburn, I guess that's a spoil for uh, the mm-hmm. Tigers going to the Iron Bowl with a chance. With, where The Iron Bowl right now, if both teams win out, is for the right to go to the SEC championship game. Uh, that's what that... Texas A&M win over Alabama really does. In terms of playing spoil for the other ones, I, I, I can't say yes, just because I really don't know how much more impact they can really have on the SEC championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I overall agree. Uh, I just think that they're definitely doing better. I think they could definitely be, be able to beat another one of their ranked opponents that are coming up. 
Uh, I mean, most of what I have on this team is Isaiah Spiller is now really finally showing like uh, what he was as a running back. I know he was one of like the top prospects going into this year. Uh, I think he was a lot of the reason why Anim was ranked. I could be wrong on that, but I just know that he's pretty highly touted. So now that he's able to show that again, uh, that's good for him. And I guess we'll see where he could land. I think he's draft eligible this year, which means he would probably go up being a running back. Uh, yeah, he's a junior, so he'd probably go up this year. So I guess we'll see what happens with him. Good for him. Uh, I think there's one more question here. It'll load. Awesome. There is one more question here in the SEC before we go into long-term or just overall stuff from this week, which is a reaction to the Ole Miss-Tennessee game. Uh, obviously, we can react to the fans. We can react to how the game played out. Uh, we can react to, like, players who we really liked, et cetera. All right, well, uh, for, first, first of all, I think the thing has to be said here. Even though he lost to Alabama, Matt Coral firmly got himself right back in the front of the Heisman race right now. I mean, my God, he was he was running so much. He ran for he ran 30 times. No, I don't think there was one designed run. He was just scrambling for his life out there. And he got 195 yards on the ground. I was watching and I was amazed. And I was just like, yo, this dude, like what, what is Tennessee supposed to do when he's showing off legs like this? Overall, I mean. Not as many points as I would have liked. Uh, Tennessee, I think, got jobbed a little bit on that fumble recovery that wasn't um, for a touchdown. Mm. But, I, I, I mean, I, I thought Tennessee played a really good football game. I think that – I mean, this is only uh, Hoyple's first season with them. So, I really like uh, the direction that they have right now, especially with Pendon uh, at quarterback because I don't think that he uh, – does he have another year left in him? I don't think he does. But no, he's he a did, yeah, if he had another year, I think I'd feel more comfortable uh, with them for next season. I don't know who their what their quarterback situation is going to be. But Hendon played really well. Joe Milton. <laughs> no, <laughs> Joe Milton's going to go to Joe Milton's going to go to UTSA and lead them to a conference USA title. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it was a really good battle of quarterbacks. Um, it really, you know, you, you could see that Hendon got hurt at the end of the game, and it, it just really uh, limited what they were able to do. Uh, that last drive is what it all came down to at the end. They, they got Matt Coral to get picked off for the first time all season. So that's yep. something to hang their hat on. And look, the fan thing, the fan thing is obviously the story here. Dude, that was bad. It was like, you're just watching and you're just kind of staring in disbelief at what was happening. Yeah. Uh, it was great television. Oh my God. It was great television. Uh, but you know, you just watch it, and, I mean, you're seeing the cops, you know, start to escort the student section out. I'm hearing the announcers talk about, oh, man, they're going to have to forfeit the game. It's like, relax. They're going to get them all out of there. They're not going to forfeit the game. It's 40 seconds left. Nothing, nothing like, drastic is going to happen. Um, the amount of stuff that they were able to throw on the field, I mean, <laughs> it just kept coming. But then, uh, oh, man, the, the highlight of the day was ha- had to be the mustard. That screen grab is That's perhaps right. one of the best screen grabs in college football that I've ever seen. Just a bottle of uh, French's mustard right there on the on the grass. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious how much was consumed. How much of the mustard was consumed? Yeah, that had to have been steal like stolen from a concession stand though. No one just brings mustard. <laughs> I mean, I saw I saw someone say that it's all. It's very likely that they uh, 
smuggled some alcohol in with the mustard bottle, but I mean, that can't just have been mustard. Uh, but I don't know. And then, you know, last play of the game, Joe Milton runs out of bounds because of course he does. Yeah, I was about to say, of course he did. Yeah, that, that, that's just good. So it was, a, it was an entertaining game. Uh, I, I'll admit, I was rooting for the balls there, but no, I, I mean, I wanted some more points, but overall, I mean, Coral versus Hooker, I, I think it lived up to what I wanted it to be. Uh, definitely agree. And when you look at it, it was truly the battle of quarterbacks. Uh, we were talking about that it was going to be the battle of quarterbacks going into it. Uh, but it just purely was Coral being the by far clear cut, like uh, clear running leader today, which or that day, which wasn't what it was against Arkansas. Uh, you had like Snoop Connor and others who were successful on the ground, but no, no one was successful on the ground for Ole Miss, but Matt Coral. Snoop Connor was 15 to 24. That's god awful. And then if you look at Parrish, Parrish, uh, the sophomore was 10 to 41, which is okay, but still he only had 10 touches. Matt Coral, as you said, 30 rushes for 195 yards. That's incredible. It was crazy. That's, that's purely incredible, particularly with like some of those rushes possibly being like, you know, the little, the, the, the weird college football recording that they have. That's, that's an amazing game on the ground for him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then if you look at the other perspective of it as well, uh, the other side of the uh, quarterback the duel, because as you said, Coral was obviously still good in the air because he's a quarterback. 231, two touchdowns, interception, his only one of the season thus far. Hendon Hooker, though, on the other side, uh, I think he had a better completion percentage. Uh, in fact, I'd probably say I'm sure of it because he only had four less completions but 12 less attempts. So I think that he definitely had a better completion percentage. Um, Hendon Hooker with 233 yards and a touchdown, but then again was also the leading rusher for the Bulls, getting 23-108 in a rushing score. Uh, now, they did actually have another really good rusher in Jabari Small, the sophomore, who was 21-92 in a touchdown, so one who Tennessee can hang their hat on going into next year. But this is purely a duel between quarterbacks. As you said, there should have just been more points. This should have been just a Sparks fly game the whole way. It's not like it wasn't, but it felt like there could have and probably should have been more. I wanted the over, man. I really wanted the over. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just I, I wanted did. college football chaos. Yeah, I, I did as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, just an incredible performance. Uh, as, as you say, I think this is the, the first year of the Tennessee coach, so good on him. Uh, I definitely feel better about that coach in orange than the Texas coach in orange. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, beyond that, pretty pretty solid. How about so, a quick update from that game uh, from ESPN? Tennessee has been fined $250,000 from the aftermath of uh, that fan pandemonium. Is that but, more than the other SEC games that got fined? Something like that. I, I think that, okay. uh, you know, yeah, the, really the Texas A&M was fined for rushing field. I don't know the exact dollar figure on that one, but um, that sounds like it would be the most. I mean, I mean, my God, they had to stop the game for 20 minutes. Yeah, that was, that was a pathetic showing from the fans. Good television, though. Yeah, good television, but really bad from the fans. Uh, but, yeah, that's the last one for the SEC. So now we only have a few questions left. Uh, with the first one uh, going to be the teams that gained and lost confidence for us this weekend, because I think we have a little bit more important questions following that. So let's go into the gain and loss confidence. Uh, lost Iowa. I don't know how much it was. Yeah. I don't watch. I don't know how much it was really there to begin with, but definitely Iowa. Um, how about Alabama? Nice little bounce back game. Uh, just absolutely destroying the Bulldogs 
on the road. Uh, Arkansas, yeah, I got to lose a little faith in that. Arizona State, oh, man, I really wanted them to win that game, but they just fell flat in the second half. Um, hmm. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll throw some love NC State's way. You know, doing a blowout win like that in a big game in the Atlantic. You know, they took care of business, and hey, man, they still control their own destiny. So that, that's all we got to do. So very impressive with those teams. Uh, yeah, uh, I will also definitely say uh, there should be some props thrown towards Baylor's way. Obviously, uh, they've been really good this season, but uh, beating BYU comfortably, good performance. Uh, I think there's a little bit of confidence for Ole Miss and Tennessee. Uh, there's definitely some confidence for NC State, who blew out Boston College at home, uh, 33-7. Uh, obviously, a lot of lost confidence in Virginia Tech, some lost mm-hmm. confidence in Arkansas. Definitely lost confidence in Texas, uh, though I've talked about that a good bit. I would say a little bit of lost confidence in Michigan State, just the fact that Indiana was within five points of them. Uh, yeah, that game on, was ugly. Definitely an ugly game to watch. On uh, Jack Tuttle, someone who I've never heard of before. Uh, yeah, he was a Utah Justin. transfer. He was, he's been Penix's backup for a year. Um, yeah. He didn't play – like, he did not play well. And Michigan State's defense really stepped up. Uh, got a pick six. That was their only touchdown in the first half. Dude, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. It, the offensive line could not block for Kenneth Walker at all. Kenneth Walker was just absolutely swallowed up the whole game. Um, mm-hmm. The highlight of the day was this really weird – Michigan State has this tight end that's converted puncher. His name's Tyler Hunt. They had him run one of those Philly specials, and he threw the ball into double coverage and threw it to Peyton Thorne on the sideline. And it was an incredible throw and an incredible catch. Got the foot down. That was the highlight of Michigan State's offense today. So yeah. and not, not a good showing, hopefully with a bye week and that, yeah, you know, you go into the Michigan game a lot more prepared and just being able to uh, use your offensive weapons uh, for, for that big rivalry game, a, a game of unbeaten that's going to be played at noon for some reason. I think the last team I'll even mention here is a big gain in confidence for UVA. Uh, their defense is I, – I can't say that their defense is not soft because every game up until Duke, they have looked very soft. However, they did put up, uh, make Duke put up a donut at home. Uh, Brennan Armstrong doing Brennan Armstrong things. So that's definitely a team worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, though, we now have uh, some other questions here for the long term, which is the first The first thing I want to talk about here is, as we're now halfway through the season, I, I hope that we both have, generally speaking, a, an established Heisman and quarterback list. Uh, we've talked about it a couple weeks prior. I think I've held off for the past couple weeks, but I really want to talk about it this week since we're halfway through. Okay, well, um, we'll lead off with QB and then go in high school. Oh, okay, QB. All right. Uh, yeah. So, obviously, top two, Matt Coral, Bryce Young, not, has not changed, probably will not change. Um, other than that, I mean, you're looking at CJ Stroud, Ohio State. I know that we were like talking about Ohio State with like this weird, you know, voodoo around them where, you know, we have this weird aura, this weird thought about Ohio State, like, oh, they're not as good this year. Ohio State's the number one offense in the country. <laughs> CJ Stroud's playing really good football. They really have dialed in the last couple weeks. So Ohio State just, I mean, they're killing it. Uh, let's shout out Desmond Ritter uh, from Cincinnati. And how, you know what? I'm going to shout out my guy. 
I'm going to take this as my guy. Uh, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. I'm loving what he's doing. He is balling out. Uh, and so I'll just shout out my uh, my blue chickens once again. Love them on this podcast. Uh, yeah, um, looking at it, actually, we have a pretty similar list here. Uh, I currently have six because I couldn't really decide between two or really three. Uh, I have on this list currently Matt Coral, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Kenny Pickett, uh, McCall, and Hennon Hooker. Yeah, no, hey, man, definitely makes sense. Yeah, my toss-up was between Hooker and McCall, and it's just because uh, just I, I – I didn't go with McCall because of uh, – or actually, I, I went with McCall just because he's been great, but it's not like he's played great teams, which is – He hasn't played great teams, but at the same time, he's doing what you need – like you want them to do against really bad opponents. Man, sure. I'm, I am so dialed in for this week. They're uh, – who are they playing? This week they have Troy. Um, no, this week they have Appy State. Okay, so this week, Wednesday, Appy State. They're like barely favored by like only three. Here's the thing. Grayson McCall is on pace right now to finish with the best QBR in FBS history. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about beating Mac Jones, who had about like a 202. It's about clearing Mac Jones by like 30 points. It is like he is on pace to absolutely destroy the record. So I, ha- I like I have to give him props for that. Plus, I love I, I love my chance. Um, so I, man, this is this is a big game uh, Wednesday. Uh, you know, FPI doesn't really like them in this game. This is probably their toughest matchup of the season so far. Um, I, I don't know. I really, I'm really high on Coastal Carolina. And then they have Troy the next week. Troy has the most sacks in the country. So these next two games for them in the Sun Belt are pretty big. I, I know that Sun Belt football probably puts most people listening to sleep, but man, I, I, I love thinking about it because I really want them to get to a New Year's Six game. I would really love to see that. Yeah. Um, Overall, yeah. Uh, but but moving on from that Heisman list, how does that change for you, anything-wise? All right, well, number one and number two are still Coral and Young. I, I think C.J. Stroud is probably firmly planted in there. John Robinson, definitely in that top five. And then if you're just giving me five, got around it out with Kenneth Walker. Um, other than that, you know, you know, Kenny Pickett is having a really, really good season. You know, he continues his dominance and gets Pittsburgh – to the front of the ACC, and look, if Pitt keeps climbing up the rankings, there could be an outside shot for college football playoff contention. That Western Michigan loss obviously kills them, but you know he's doing really well. Trevion Henderson for Ohio State needs to explode a little bit more for me to put him over his quarterback. Uh, so, so if I had to go top five, it's Coral, Young, Stroud, Bajan Robinson, Kenneth Walker, not necessarily in that order. Um, and how about this? I'm looking at some odds right now. How about this wide receiver for Purdue, David Bell, who just went off against Iowa, had over 200 yards receiving. He's a plus 5,000, uh, David Bell. And I think he's, you know, he, he's up there in uh, total yards uh, for the season. Here we go. I think he's over 600 on the season. Yeah, David Bell, 38 receptions, 678 yards. And, I mean, only four touchdowns, though. So his name is up there just because of a nice big game against a team like Iowa. But overall, at the end of the day, I don't I don't think his numbers stack up that well to other wide receivers. Uh, I know this list for me used to contain uh, a little bit more variety. Uh, I think I, I know I had Josh Downs in here at one point uh, when we talked about early, early on. Um, and I also had Bajon Robinson, I think, in here. 
but those two are currently out. Mm. Uh, and that is because their teams just haven't been great. And I know that for the Heisman, it's part team success and Definitely. part individual success. And yeah, that's why I can't throw Bajan in, though I do like him. Uh, so my current top five now is still led by Coral. Uh, Coral's just been incredible this year. I think he's my QB one uh, when we're going to start coming to mock draft time. I think if he comes up, uh, if he uh, goes out of Ole Miss this year, he's certainly going to be the top guy. Uh, I have Kenneth Walker as number two for me personally, just because he's been so incredible. Uh, he had that. He, he did have a bit of a stinker this week. Um, I will say that. And then sure er, well, earlier in the gonna... season against, um, against uh, Nebraska, it wasn't that great shakes either. But overall, I mean, he's still leading the nation in rushing. Like he was able, and then the Youngstown State game didn't really stack up the yards like he should have if he wanted to have a better Heisman campaign. But overall, yeah, no, dude, dude's he, he's still leading the nation in rushing. He's got two games over 200 yards. I think he need another one like that. Uh, this offensive line needs to really help him out because Michigan's front is no joke. So if he wants to keep this Heisman success going, he'll only have a big game uh, against Michigan. Sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think he will, um, but we'll see. So. I, I just think that he's kind of in the focal point for y'all. But then past that, Bryce Young still, CJ Stroud, and then Kenny Pickett. Uh, I, I think that's kind of chalk at this point of where it is. I think McCall could possibly bump into that list, but uh, they would never give it to him. No, agreed. Yeah, he'll get he'll get so, votes. I think he can get some votes, especially if he's no, right, he'll, he'll get record. votes, but he'll never get it. Yeah, no. but that, that's what I'm saying. That I could see McCall getting into there. I think a clear top. I, I, honestly, no, there's not even a clear top three. I think that Coral Walker is a clear top two right now. Then mm. I think Bryce Young and Stroud are fighting for that third. I, I think like Stroud can overtake. And then it's just a function of if Pickett can dominate, if he will throw his name into that final three ring. Right. Running Armstrong is going off, man. He's well, I mean, Bailey Zappi. Here's the thing. West Kentucky throws the ball a lot. Now, I don't know how much UVA is throwing the ball compared to a a team like West Kentucky where they only throw the ball. But, man, the fact that he's close to 200 yards over Zappi, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, he threw, sure it, he, okay. he threw it I'm 60 sure times against Louisville and more than 50 times the rest of the week. You know, he's throwing the ball a lot. Never mind. I'm, I'm, yeah, he, he's definitely throwing sure, a lot. I'm pretty sure Western Kentucky only has one win. Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of want to throw Armstrong back on the list. I feel like he could get to that point. I was debating to talking about him with my QBs, but I feel like they need to get, like, that good win. Yeah, they, they, they need to win more in order for a guy like him to get Heisman hope. And there will be one more thing that we'll talk about after this, but I do want to go and talk about the next weekend of games just because I think it's uh, good to talk about that now. So let's talk about some of the games next weekend that we can hype up. Okay. Uh, well, this is going to be a tough one because I think next week's slate is terrible. Um, I agree. I mean, it is. Here, here's the okay. Here's the thing that's really catching my eye right now, and I want to see where the FPI is here. Okay, here we go. Iowa State is favored by a full touchdown right now, and FPI has them at 78% against a top 10 undefeated team in Oklahoma State. You're the Big 12 guy. Help me out here while I look for other games that might not want to make me hate football. 
I can understand it because if you remember, I've, I've talked about the Oklahoma State hasn't been fully impressive. I mean, other than two games this year, they've won like every single game by uh, a single drive. I mean, Baylor, they won by 10 at home. Uh, and then Kansas State, they won by 11 at home. But otherwise, like they only beat Texas by eight. Uh, they beat Boise State by one, uh, who also knocked off BYU uh, two weeks ago. Uh, they beat Tulsa by five. They beat Missouri State by seven. Uh, it was originally why I put Kansas State over Oklahoma State, and I think you agreed with me on that game. So I, I can understand why, but I will also say that this is a team that is a top 10 team for a reason. So unless you unless they think that like Brock Purdy and Brees Hall are just going to torch this defense, I, I, I'm surprised that it's this much of an differential. Or yeah, like how, do you, how do you have them favored by a full touchdown? I don't yeah. get that. All right, so I would, def- I would definitely go with whatever like picks to go like in favor of Oklahoma State right now. Oh yeah, to have them cover that spread for sure. All right, um, so just in, in terms of other games, I mean honestly, probably my favorite game of the week, but that's just because I'm a sicko. Uh, definitely the Sun Belt matchup: Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, Wednesday night football. Definitely watch that. ESPN two, turn it in. Um, you know what? How about how about this? My SMU Broncos, our SMU Broncos, and Tanner Mordecai have not been. Have not played for a while. They played against Navy, played a close game against Navy. They're at home on Thursday against Tulane. That could be a nice showing. Uh, uh-huh. And then here, how about this? How about a Saturday game that's in conference? Not, it's not a conference game, but it's in the ACC. How about Wake Forest on the road at West Point? Only favored by three. We've been talking sure. about how their defense has been giving up more and more yards. This is a triple option service academy. They're only favored by three. Could Army, like, gash them on the ground, and could we see upset here? Uh, it's certainly a possibility, particularly when Army's going to be at home. Uh, I don't know. I'm just very concerned because uh, – what, what is it? Their, their, their leading quarterback is 8 of 15. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's Army. You, 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 they're a triple option school. I mean, they're, they're the service academy. I'm looking more at the fact that their quarterback is, has already rushed for over 400 yards. That's what you got to look at. you got to look at their rushing stats. I mean, they're not going to throw the ball. Sure. I don't know. It's just, I think that's a little bit too concerning, particularly like being one dimensional against Wake. I just don't think that that's great. Uh, otherwise, I'll give you two of my own. One is Pittsburgh Clemson, and that's just because I think Pittsburgh's going to smash them, and it's also sure. on ESPN. Uh, and then the second one, how about Oregon UCLA? Oregon or UCLA currently favored by the bookies with two and a half. The master predictor has Oregon with 53%. Uh, but then someone that, you know, we haven't been able to talk about too much this year, Dorian Thompson-Robinson uh, having a pretty solid year for UCLA. Uh, just a little bit over 1,400 yards, 13-2, and two, touchdown interception ratio. Uh, and then you also have right behind him, Zach Sarvinet, the junior, putting up around six yards of carry with almost 700 yards on the season, 100, uh, 100, almost 110 touches and seven touchdowns. So this could be a shocker. It could be. I could definitely see it. As Zach Charbonnet said, a good season transfer from Michigan. Um, Anthony Brown for Oregon has kind of just not been great since the Ohio State yeah. game. And again, CJ Verdell for Oregon has just completely completely disappeared from this offense. This die kid has been has completely superseded him. They got Kayvon Thibodeau back, and he had a big game against Cal. Uh, so that's going to be important for them for this game. On the road, night, uh, not night, uh, noon for them because it's you know three-hour time difference. I, I, this is the biggest game probably in the Pac-12 up up to this point this season because Oregon is their only shot at the playoff. Mm, 
I'm not ready to say that UCLA can pull this off. Even though I, Oregon I, I has agree. had a couple bad games back to back. I mean, obviously the loss to Stanford and a close game against Cal. I think I think I have to think that they bounce back here. I agree. I, I, I think we'll see, but it will be very, very, very interesting. I'll, I'll have to do some more research on this game. Sure. No, I agree. Uh, but the last question of this episode here uh, is going to be this. We talked about it. I think I think it was the game after uh, what we called college football week one. Uh, when we talked about the college football playoffs, we talked about how chalk it is. We're not halfway through the year. And I thought that it would be a good idea to talk about who we think is going to make the college football playoffs because this year has been so crazy. All right. Well, uh, again, sorry, guys, but we were not able to get a concrete answer as to what our thoughts were at the beginning of the season. But I know for a fact that my response to this had tight. to have been a lapsadaisical, oh, it's going to be Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, you know, Oklahoma, Ohio State. That's going to be your contenders. Yeah. And for the most part, it still kind of is. Clemson is terrible, obviously. But, I mean, here's the thing. Georgia, obviously, inside track. I've been high on them. They're my national champion right now. Oklahoma, with Caleb Williams, they're back. You know, they're rising in the rankings again. That's the thing. They were losing. Poor, they were, I mean, they were winning, but they weren't looking good when they were winning. Now they're winning. They're looking good when they're winning. So they're going to go right back up there. Uh, Ohio State, man, even with that loss to Oregon, even though Oregon might not be that great, they, I think the defense is starting to figure itself out. And look, they still have the number one offense in the country. Uh, so they'll, they'll get it done. And I can't see Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. I can't see them beating Ohio State. Uh, so Ohio State, I think, has the clear inside path to the Big Ten East, and that means Big Ten champion. Uh, so you can't take them out. So Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Here's the question, and we've been pushing this all year. We've been pushing the Cincinnati agenda. Here's where I am, guys. The first college football playoff ranking comes out mid-December, uh, mid-November. Uh, it usually happens around like week 10. Here's how I think it's going to look. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Oklahoma. Number three, Ohio State, assuming all these teams keep winning until then. Number four, Cincinnati. Number five, Alabama. I don't care who number six is. Let's just throw Michigan in there. Why not? I know Mich- Michigan's going to lose this uh, two weekends from now, so let's throw Michigan State there. Michigan State. Yeah, that's right. Um, the teams at the, in the in the top four are going to keep winning. Georgia's going to keep winning. They're going to get to the SEC championship game undefeated. Oklahoma's going to keep winning. They're probably going to get to the Big Twelve championship game undefeated. Ohio State, same thing. They'll get they, they'll be untouched in Big Ten play. They get to the Big Ten championship game. They smoke Iowa. Cincinnati can still win. They can win all their games. They can beat SMU. They can beat them twice. They can beat them. Uh, at home, and then they can beat them in the championship game for the American. If Alabama runs the table, goes to the SEC championship game, and beats Georgia, Cincinnati's out. That's how the committee rolls. They're not dropping Georgia, and they're putting Bama in, and they're not putting Oklahoma. They're not going to put Cincinnati, an undefeated Cincinnati over a one-loss Georgia because that's what it would come down to. Because Oklahoma and Ohio State have those conference championships, they're not going to put Cincinnati over either either of those four teams, and they will get smushed out so right now i can't put them as a lock i'm gonna put georgia as a lock i'm gonna put ohio state as a lock i'm gonna put oklahoma as a lock i'm gonna leave that fourth one up for a little bit of a coin toss but cincinnati is not a lock yet no matter how much i want to say that they are because the committee is going to play their game they're going to play their politics they're going to string them along the whole way and then when it comes to that final decision they're not going to drop georgia out 
when they lose to Alabama. If they lose to Alabama. And they're I gonna agree. they're gonna give they're gonna give you the spiel. Yeah. Oh, strength of schedule, this, that, this, that. It's what it's what it's gonna come down to. It really is. And I'm gonna be so sad if it happens. That's where my head's at right now. And because they're gonna they're gonna play the whole, oh well, they were in position to win, but then other stuff happened. Well, then they were never in the position to win, were they? That's where that's where I'm at. Because I... they, they don't care about them. I completely agree with that assessment. However, I'll give you my one through four. <clears throat> and I'm not going to say that these are locks because I'm not an expert. But this is what I think is going to happen for the rest of the season. My number one is Georgia. Georgia is the by far best team in the nation. They have probably the best defense in the nation. And even with having to run on their backup quarterback right now, I don't know when JT Daniels is going to return, but even with running on their backup, he has also done a very good job. Uh, he's 11 touchdowns, two interceptions, almost 70% completion uh, with an average yards of 12.1. Like Stetson Bennett seniors actually been <clears throat> pretty impressive. The run game hasn't been as impressive as Georgia is used to. Uh, maybe James Cook should be receiving more touches. Uh, maybe this Milton kid, uh, the sophomore out of California. Um, I, I don't know, but though their offense hasn't been explosive, it's been good. And it's really been the defense that's been about the team. But it's like they have a good offense, but in elite defense. It's not like a Virginia Tech scenario where you have a bad offense, great defense, or Clemson, bad offense, great defense, or Iowa, which has been an up-and-down offense and a great defense. This is you have the best of both worlds. The one is still clearly better than the other. So Georgia's still my one. <clears throat> my two is going to be Oklahoma. Is That's because they're going to be very impressed by Caleb Williams. Uh, the Oklahoma has a very hard streak uh, to end the year. Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Uh, I could see them winning not only all three with how great their offense has been, but on top of that, just staying undefeated, winning the Big 12 championship. And I th think that's just going to be enough to elevate them to two because they're going to look that explosive. My three is going to be, and I, I feel conflicted, but I'm going to say Ohio State. Indiana, they're going to smoke. Penn State, they're going to smoke. Nebraska, they're going to smoke. Purdue, they're going to smoke. Really, the only game that concerns me on this the schedule for Ohio State is Michigan State, genuinely. I think Michigan State should be 10-0 going into the matchup against the Buckeyes. And I think Ohio State wins that game. Just look at what they did against Maryland at home. They shut out a Maryland offense that, generally speaking, has been productive this year. They, they held uh, Talia Fungavailoa to two, uh, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and they held Maryland under 20 points. That's pretty impressive. So their defense has come back around, which was mostly the issue at the beginning of the year because they're letting Minnesota into games. They're letting Oregon into games, uh, into the game, and, of course, winning the game. But the defense has really popped back around, particularly in their last three matchups, uh, conceding 37 points in three games. That's good to me. That shows the sign of a turnaround, and the uh, obviously we can talk as much about their offense because they have a great offense. 
my four is the Cincinnati Bearcats. Oh my God, the dramatic pause for that one. My, my four Cincinnati. And it's, it's ultimately because of this. I don't think Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship. Okay, the, I, I, look, look, honestly, I'm with you there. But do you agree with me that if Alabama was to beat Georgia, Cincinnati would be kicked out? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, the, 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 the committee would pull bull on that. And I do agree. However, I think <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think Alabama wins. And even if they were to win, the one, uh, the one thing I'll say is this. I think if Cincinnati was to dominate the rest of their schedule, I still think it would be hard for the committee to really say it. I think they would hem and haul. But I think if, like, Cincinnati dominates SMU in both games that they play, there's there's not much else you can hem and haul about. No, SMU has been a top 25 team as well. Yeah. So I think the Bearcats are going to be in the college football playoffs. But they're going to slip to four because they're still going to rate Ohio State better than Ohio State. It's a loss. And we'll probably have a really close Big Ten championship game. We'll probably keep it close against Michigan State, possibly even Michigan this year. But I still don't. I don't trust Michigan being this high. Um, so, so it's still going to be like the committee's going to be like, congratulations, five team in. Now go get smashed by Georgia, so we can have a fun championship game. Well, I know they may not not tried as hard last year, but Georgia and Cincinnati already played, and they played a pretty close game. And Cincinnati should have won that game. I'm still kind of upset about that. Um, sure. Which means that it could be interesting, but still, like, that's why I think that Cincinnati would lay it at four because otherwise, obviously, I would leave them at two because, or I would leave them at two or three because they'd be undefeated, right. which I'd say is better than Ohio State. But I think the committee slips them down to four, which means you'll have Georgia, Cincinnati, and you'll have Oklahoma, Ohio State. I will be really surprised if Cincinnati is higher than either Oklahoma or Ohio State when they come out with their first ranking. I'd be really surprised if they don't have them at that four spot because again, up until now, they're going to pull the strength of the schedule thing. And, you know, can't, <clears throat> at the end of the day, like, yeah, you can't argue them, but at the same time, we know what Cincinnati is. They're a really elite defense and they've got, a, they have, they have a great quarterback. They've got, they have NFL players. It's, I don't think it's that big of a talent thing and they're smoking their opponents. So, and, and they have the wins, they have the wins, they have Indiana, they have Notre Dame on the road. I want them to, I really want them to, but if that scenario happens, then at the end of the day, then the group of five teams should just stop playing football or they should really set up their own playoff. Yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't hate that. If Cincinnati gets canned this year because of the scenario that I'm laying out happens, then they should, just, then all the group of five teams should just stop. They should stop scheduling games with power five opponents. They should stop doing these, you know, home and homes, you know, they should just stop doing that. Oh. And they should just be their own thing because at this point, like the cultural playoff just does not care about them. If that was, if that's how, if that's how it lays out and Cincinnati's done everything right, then they've got no hope. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, I guess we're going to stop things for today. That was episode 83 of the 3304 sports podcast. We recapped a little bit of uh, the lost Friday episode uh, with the picks and our most recent ACC power rankings. Definitely going to change for this Friday. Uh, and then we got into what the pit loss for Virginia Tech meant. Talked a little bit about the game, but overall, you know, the theme of it. And then, of course, as our college football show is on Mondays, we talked about pretty much everything from this past weekend and what to look forward to moving on in the future. So for Kilburn Bergstrom, I'm Vance Steinbach. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Have a great day and take care. Thank you.